Welcome, everyone, to the Fractional Executive Podcast. My name is Ryan Kauf, and I'm your host. This podcast is for owners of small businesses of $500,000 to $10 million in annual revenue whose growth has plateaued. With us today, I have Christopher Perceptions. Uh, I've known Christopher for a while. We've had great conversations. He is the founder and CEO of No Code Clarity, which creates no-code toolkits for uh, app development. He's an international Web3 expert and entrepreneur. Uh, he also does consulting in crypto. And one of the coolest conversations I think I've ever had in my life and then had to go do a whole ton of research on was when Christopher and I had this conversation about virtual real estate. I couldn't wrap my head around it. And then I did and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is really interesting. So Christopher, welcome and thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Um, just to publicly say this, um, Ryan has been a hidden hand of support from, I would dare say about day one, um, building companies since I was 18. Um, but most of those were like sole props, LLCs. Um, but when you're building something that is like a C-Corp, in a tech space, you generally are in the mindset of like, okay, this could potentially be sold. So you do operations different, you present it different. And then from, I think day one, the moment that I decided to step out from the C-Corp standpoint with the tech company, he just appeared. It was, it was miraculous. I don't know how we found one another, but um, he's been a hidden hand of support ever since. So I just want to publicly say thank you for always being a message away. Definitely appreciate you and happy to be here. Yeah, thanks, Christopher. I actually remember how we met, more or less. So I'll I'll bring that up later. Um, but for those of you uh, watching, right before we kind of get into it, I would just like to remind you to please like, subscribe, and follow so that we can get more awesome guests like Christopher on here, grow the show, and that way we can help you grow your businesses and get you off that terrible no growth plateau that you're stuck on right now. So, Christopher, um, again, we've had lots of conversations before, but could you just start out talking about specifically your own kind of executive leadership development in entrepreneurship, being a founder, and how that got you off of that no growth plateau? Sure. So I think it all starts with the fact that we're all humans at the end of the day. Um, so we put on the, the founder hat, if you will. And um, there's a VC that I know, his name is Trevor Owens. He says that um, CEO means chief everything officer. So it's like uh, when it's ground zero in your building, you're doing everything. You're doing design, you're doing um, operations, you're doing finance, you're doing marketing, sales, all of it, backend development. Um, and part of that leaves people burnt out. So there's this this really crazy hustle culture that we see, especially for millennials and Gen Z um, reels, as well as Instagram posts, Twitter feeds where people are basically saying, hey, be inhuman, like don't sleep. And it's it's literally crazy. Like people should not listen to that. Um, it's engagement farming at best. So I would dare say that my development started with 
going back to my values and figuring out my why. Um, working and, you know, being able to acquire assets or even luxury toys, all of that's cool, but why, you know, what is my, why, why am I doing this? Um, and the moment that I discovered my, why it made me more resilient to the ebbs and flows of business when things aren't good, when things are excellent. Um, none of that honestly matters because my, why is secure. So building from a cornerstone, a proper cornerstone, as opposed to building on sand, I was able to develop from that standpoint. So I would dare say our, as founders, we have to remember that we are people, we're husbands, we're wives, we're sons, we're daughters. And um, if we don't have our why intact, everything else is going to crumble because it's all hinged together, in my humble opinion. Hopefully that answers your question. No, that, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I mean, as you're talking to other founders too, what are some of those examples of those foundational whys and how do you kind of, you know, go away from that and then come back to that so that you've got that foundation for growth? Great question. Um, I talked to a lot of founders and um, some are further in their journey than others and some are ahead of me in many respects as well. Um, but it's always, how do you deal with the, uh, work-life balance piece. Some say that it's non-existent. Um, I myself, I am a husband. I have a wife, been married for almost seven years and um, have two children, uh, a one-year-old and a three-year-old, and they run me when I'm not working. So um, I'm sure all parents can relate there. But from the standpoint of managing you know, work-life balance, um, that's been the, the biggest point of a friction for a lot of founders because um, they have these ambitions, they have these goals, um, they have these moonshot blueprints, if you will. Um, and the biggest thing is, okay, well, how do I manage this? Um, and one thing that's always worked for, for me is understanding that we all have 24 hours. A poor person's 24 hours and a rich person's 24 hours are only different based off what they have to do within those hours, ultimately. Um, catching the bus, waiting, going to social security office, getting a social security card, applying for a job, like that's that's very tedious as opposed to um, a rich person understanding, oh, I can leverage chat GPT, I can pay someone, create a chat bot, and now my customer service for my platform is done within two days um, as opposed to someone that's actually trying to apply for a job. So looking at the 24 hours, I would say how are your 24 hours structured? And how could you get more time with family and or more time with work? So Kobe Bryant, for example, he says, well, what I generally had to do was I had to wake up earlier. Most people don't wanna wake up at like three, four or five in the morning, but you get two benefits. One, your competition is literally sleeping. And two, you have more undisturbed time for work, for prayer, um, for being able to work out, as a lot of people often do, um, and knocking out the mundane pieces of things or even the, the harder things that might require more of your attention. And then if you do have children and a spouse, they're waking up around seven or so, you're able to spend a little time with them. As soon as they're off, you can get back to it and you already have three, four hours ahead of what might have been required of you. So it's often been that work-life balance piece. Being able to sort that one out is, is going to be a huge unlock for a lot of founders. 
that's a great topic just to talk about, um, Christopher. If we could stay on that for a little bit longer, hope that's hope that's okay. Um, I'm assuming there were times in your life where you were thinking about how am I going to wake up earlier or how am I going to do this rather than just actually doing it, right? The question I get sometimes is, you know, I really want to be an entrepreneur. How do I start a business? And my bad answer is you have to start, <laughs> right? Um, what were some of those things, influences that kind of got you going from trying to figure out how to doing this to just doing it? Yeah, um, I wish I could say that it was all calculated, but it wasn't. Um, I just knew that growing up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I'm currently based in um, Raleigh, North Carolina. Business is headquartered in Miami, going to be eventually relocating internationally, going back and forth a little bit. But it all started in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, mother, grandmother and aunt who I lived with. Father was a rolling stone in and out of my life. Um, but I was afforded various opportunities. I understood that I was middle class ish, maybe a little under. Um, and I understood that my mother had a different um, set of people that she would hang around and work with clergymen, preachers, self made millionaires, um, entrepreneurs, et cetera, politicians. My father, on the other hand, he was more so on the, the underworld side of things, um, gang members, murderers, boosters, um, prostitutes. So I had a chance to really see both worlds up close. And I understood that going back to values, your why. Um, some people don't have a, a cornerstone, if you will, of their why or of their values. They just see needs and they'll say, oh, well, by any means necessary, very Machiavellian in their approach. Others say, well, I have to do things the right way in order for things to output properly. Um, so I understood that seeing this, okay, if values can be obscure, depending on what side of the spectrum you're on, what's one constant? The constant is you need this element of capitalism known as money. Um, how people go about getting that goes back to values and whatnot. I understood that at a very young age. Now, going back to how my journey started and, and whatnot, I think that I didn't have a, a set of family or friends that I can go to and say, hey, can you give me you know, 25K to start my business or 100K um, to start my business um, as maybe a Jeff Bezos or others um, had. So I had to be creative um, in my approach for funding. So maybe I leveraged grants, maybe I leveraged sales. Maybe I leveraged a relationship that brought about attention. I could leverage that attention to output in monetary value later down the line. Um, so my journey was more so of I had to figure it out. There was no other option. Um, I could be a statistic or I could be someone that creates solutions and I wanted to be more solution driven. So it's a little bit of my journey. No, that's awesome, Christopher. That so that reminds me, and that goes back to, and here's where we can weave in where we kind of first first met. Mm -hmm. So we had some kind of common connection on LinkedIn. I don't know who that is to this day. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. You were complaining about your network being too small to help you solve this problem. Mm -hmm. Whatever that problem was, I instantly thought of a person, and I think I connected with you, and then I think I direct messaged you and said, why don't you talk to this person mm -hmm. from there? We just kept, we just kind of kept talking. So it was kind of funny. You posted about, you were complaining about something. 
And I was like, well, that's easy, right? This guy. Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of just kind of went from there, which is totally fun. Um, you know, and, and really that's the great thing about having a podcast like this is you learn from other founders and in my experience, and actually there's research that says this founders and entrepreneurs learn best from other founders and entrepreneurs. 1000%. Yeah. So given that drop comments in about how you blend your life, you know, below. And if you have that kind of one thing that happened or over time it happened that you went from trying to be frustrated with how do I do this to just doing it, I would love to learn um, from the audience and, and other folks listening to this right now. So drop those comments uh, below. Christopher and I would love to, to learn from you and interact with you um, that way. And again, you know, that's why this podcast, you know, was started in the first place. So again, just a reminder to please like, subscribe, follow the show so that we can get great guests on here like Christopher. And that helps you then grow your business as well. So Christopher, I had a couple other things that I just wanted to talk to you about. You're a master of figuring out how to operate companies efficiently. What was that, you know, what are some tips or that one thing, or maybe there's a couple things that you can share that really helped you grow your business operations? Understanding that um, everything is affordable, period. No caveat. All you have to do literally is increase how much revenue or profit that you're getting. Um, and once you discover that, that there is no scarcity, but looking at things from an abundant lens um, and going back to, to how we met, and I do remember that actually on LinkedIn, um, the entrepreneurial journey for most starts in like a solo output. So starting alone and then you're running into brick walls, glass ceilings, et cetera, um, you either get really frustrated or you just say, hey, that's what a nine to five is for. I'll do this later. People put their dreams on the shelf and sometimes they never pick them up, which is sad. Um, and I think that people should have community going back to the founder to founder piece. Um, people should have community and they should have an awareness of two things. One, there is no scarcity. They're constantly printing money all over the world every single day. So there is no scarcity. It's just a matter of figuring out how to get it from a central bank legally into your business. And then secondly, that there are good people that actually want to help, um, such as Ryan, who just reached out because he said, hey, well, I have this potential solution um, and being open to it. I could have said, who is this guy? I'm not going to respond to this. It might be spam, whatever. I look at every single message. <laughs> no, then we wouldn't be here, you know? Um, Sometimes people have to, you know, just unlock that piece of of their mind and say, hey, well, even if it is spam, I'm going to at least check the email. I don't have to respond, but I'm going to check the email. I'm going to check the message um, because your next opportunity might be in there. So that's one thing from the standpoint of my first point. Everything is affordable. You just have to increase sales. You have to increase profit or revenue um, and getting money in in whatever capacity you can. Um, and understanding number two, that riches are in niches. So everyone in the world is understanding the value prop of technology. You don't have to sell to many people why a tech company could be valuable, but there are hundreds, thousands of tech companies that start and statistics 
regarding businesses that start and stay in business after five years are somewhat abysmal um, and depressing if you look at those numbers. So you have to understand what is the niche that you're going after? Is it enterprise? Is it Web3 like myself? And even within Web3, there are certain verticals. So every industry has a vertical. We could say real estate. It's like, okay, are you doing logistics and distribution? Are you cutting down trees and are you distributing to them? Are you a realtor? Are you compass? Like what, what angle within your, your industry? Um, so writing the vision and making it as plain as possible, even if it's just within your phone's notes application or notion, or even a napkin, as I've had to do before the advent of the iPhone, just getting ideas from head to paper, just writing it out and then mapping it out, reverse engineering what it is that you want to do. Um, so if your goal is to say, Hey, I want to be a private owned, uh, billion dollar valuation company. How do I get from 1 billion to where I am now? Look at those steps. And you also have to be truthful to yourself. You can't say, hey, I'm going to meet Gary Vee. He's going to love me. He's going to invest in my social startup that's catering towards people. And then we're going to go to the moon. That's not how that works. You have to create those steps, be real with yourself and understand point three. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? I understand my strengths. I know what I know. But I'm also humble enough to realize that I don't know everything. So I'm constantly a student, constantly learning, but I definitely know what I don't know. And that's where if you have a war chest where you're able to um, fund the, the business by way of creating jobs, don't be so cash tight if something's going to free you to do what you do best. So if it's equity, if it's actual capital, um, definitely do so from the standpoint of hiring the best people to cover your weaknesses. Most visionary entrepreneurs aren't good at the books. The IRS is going to eat them alive. So they need to make sure that they have people covering their weaknesses um, so that they're able to really do things the proper way. So I would dare say those are the, the three things that help me from an operational standpoint. And then lastly, as a bonus, um, figure out ways to kind of hack growth. Um, if there is a trend within your niche and industry, try and figure out who, what, when, where, why, how, and understand that there are a few ways where you can kind of game the system. I know we're on the advent of um, everything that's AI, um, and that's going to change how a lot of browsers are outputting information. But at this particular point, there are ways where you can play with search engine optimization by creating content. So that's why a lot of thought leaders go to places like LinkedIn, they go to places like Twitter, and they provide exhaustive value in the form of threads um, for free. Most people would say, well, why are they doing this for free? It's never for free. It's always going to lead to something. If it's another follower, that's another person they can advertise to. If it's a subscriber to their email list or to their podcast or their YouTube page, that's something that is eventually going to be able to be monetized. Um, going back to something that I heard Warren Buffett once say, people don't want to get rich slow. They want to get rich quick. I think the social media component of marketing is really advantageous for businesses, whether you're you know, a billion plus or if you're at ground zero and you're just starting with an idea and a dream in your heart. Everyone has the same tools and they're free. You just have to put the time in the sweat equity. A rich person has a lot of money and no time. A poor person has a lot of time and no money. You can leverage that time 
to create value using tools for free. So figure out ways to growth hack within your niche. And I think you'll be good to go. That's awesome, Christopher. And, and you've done that in multiple different verticals, if you want to, if you want to call it that. So, uh, you know, as you're listening to this, Christopher knows what he's talking about. Um, you know, I just read this article about the top 10 characteristics of successful entrepreneurs. And in that last few minutes, Christopher, you nailed humility, not knowing, you know, not knowing what you know, and then learning, and you nailed vision. So if you could talk just real briefly about one of those two things and how you are constantly revisioning or continuing that down that path of trying to be humble as successful mm -hmm. as you are, pick one of those two things to talk about. I think there's enough, um, enough people who speak on vision, but I would love to hear more people speak on humility. So I'll, I'll be the change I want to see in the world. I'll talk about humility. I think that um, from the standpoint of founders, especially when they touch success, I remember um, seeing six figures for the first time. This is the first time it's ever happened in my life. And I'm, I'm processing all these emotions, but I understand because my cornerstone is, is solid. I understand my why. I'm not gonna deal with this six figures and, and squander it. I'm going to look at it from the standpoint of how can, two things, how can this money make more money and how can I use this money to help people? So generally speaking, there are a lot of ways where, and I heard this concept before, I'm not sure who coined it, of conscious capitalism, where a person can make money and it not be in the sense of greed so that they can help people. So being conscious of there are people all over the world who are not able to even have a computer, have fast Wi-Fi, have AirPods, have a home that they can live in without fear of it being swept away with uh, a mudstorm or um, a monsoon or something like that. So being mindful of all of the problems and understanding that us as founders, we have this innate energy within us or ability within us where it's like, I have to do something. I have to build something. I have to create something. Um, and generally speaking, that can be aimed at fixing problems. People who fix problems in this world get very wealthy if they can fix them for a lot of people. But once that happens, something within people tends to change. Your environments change, um, what you have access to change. Maybe instead of flying commercial, you're flying private. Maybe you have a six-figure car, which could cost what someone may have paid for their home. And then people begin to forget how far removed they are, that it creates pride within them, not knowing that we're all one car accident away from needing to be on disability for the rest of our lives, not knowing that um, bullets don't have names. And my environment has taught me that as far as um, being able to speak with people one day and then the next day they're literally gone. Um, so being aware of my mortality, but also being aware of if I'm alive, that means that there's still hope for me to build, not only for my family, but also to create things for the world. And that is a very daunting thing that I keep, um, at the forefront of my mind, but it also, it, it charges me to, to make sure that I'm doing things in excellence and that is beyond me. It's beyond my lifetime. So having something circling back to the why, your why has to be bigger than you so that it keeps you humble. My why is 
infinitely bigger than me. Um, so there's no way that I could ever speak from the tune of pride. It literally, I'll just get sat down. So I have to stay humble in order for everything to work properly. And the most humble of us generally become extremely successful. Um, we're just not in the forefront like some other founders. We like to be behind the scenes, just supporting, not doing it for fanfare, but doing it because it's right. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, that, that's great, Christopher. You know, that reminds me as you were talking about how many people don't actually ask the founder, the successful founder about how or why they started their business. And when somebody told me that one time, and then I went and did that and I asked 10 founders and entrepreneurs and, and nobody had ever asked them that before. I was floored, right? And all of them gave me these great answers. I mean, I could have probably written a book uh, just on that. Maybe that's another podcast. Um, you know, the last thing, if, I, if we could conclude today, uh, Christopher, is just you were talking about community uh, before and I'm finding that to be more of a challenge for founders um, again, I think the perennial vision of a, a founder is they're kind of stuck on an island by themselves. They've got employees, right, who just and they've got family members and friends that just don't get them because really only about 10 percent of people are founders or entrepreneurs at any, at any given time. What are some things that you have found to be successful from a community standpoint? Are there communities out there that you found that have helped you or is there, you know, does that even exist, I guess, for founders? What do you think? On a generalist standpoint, um, I know that it exists, but I know that there is nuance depending on what industry you're in. So realtors go to realtor conferences, meet other realtors. Um, trades are shared and details and, and all of that. Um, same thing for tech um, and I would dare say tech is probably a more visible example, um, because if I'm in tech, I can just kind of pick my own adventure and say, hey, I'm in an AI. I can Google AI conferences and tons are going to pop up, some that may be established, some that might be new. Um, I can go to those and I can develop contacts um, or if it's something traditional, like maybe computer science graduate trying to find a job at a job fair. If I'm going to the same job fair as other people are, that means either A, they're in the same industry as me, or B, they're looking to hire from this pool that I might be in. So networking is very key, not only from the standpoint of professional, but also from the standpoint of having colleagues within an industry. So for me, um, in the Web3 space, one year in this industry is like 10 years, dog years. It's crazy. Um, things move so fast. Um, so being able to bunker down and understand, hey, maybe I can go to IndieHacker.com. Maybe I can go on Twitter and type in my hashtag and see thought leaders and look at who's replying to these thought leaders. And maybe I can reach out to them. Might not be able to get a Grant Cardone response if I'm in real estate, but maybe I can get someone to respond to me that he follows. And maybe that creates a connection. Um, so you have to just be very strategic on who it is that you're plugging in with because um, those whom you walk with, you become like. So if you're walking with people that um, have kind of shady business practices and they're doing it for fanfare and clicks and whatnot, that eventually is gonna crash and burn. It's not sustainable. But if you're able to connect with people that have been in your industry and might be exactly where you are, 
um, with staying power, they're, they may have exited, they may have hired people. Um, those might be some of the people that you would want to connect with. And you believe it or not, most of those people uh, would be really happy to hear from you. Um, and you have to make sure the odds are in your favor. You can't just reach out to one person, say it didn't work and be like, oh, well, uh, Chris lied to me. That's not how it works. You have to reach out to several people and then eventually, you know, the process begins. And also last point, um, who you are speaks volumes as well. So if you're a person of value and you can contribute value, maybe that's how you start the conversation saying, hey, looking for community. I'm really good at graphic design. Um, do you have any graphic design stuff that you need done? Not trying to be salesy. I'll make you a logo for free. Can I buy you a cup of coffee or something like that? You'd be surprised if you show yourself friendly, how friendly people will become to you as well. Chris, thanks so much for being with us today. I want to give you some time to talk about your projects that you're working on now and then how folks can get a hold of you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, really, really thankful to be on, on this podcast. Um, first and foremost, I am on a social media blackout because I'm, I'm building, but Eventually, um, I'll emerge from the cave with like fire or something, and I'll be back on Twitter. Um, my Twitter is twitter.com slash CMPGFB. Um, same thing for Instagram. Um, my LinkedIn is Perceptform. That's the URL. So linkedin.com slash N slash Perceptform. Um, now back to the company itself. No Cup Clarity, we are building the bridge between Web3 and no-code development. Quick statistic, um, less than 1%, excuse me, less than 2% of the world's population knows how to technically program. So there's a talent squeeze, there's people trying to learn how to program. Um, and generally speaking, to learn one language can take anywhere from six to 12 months plus. Um, if you outsource to build an MVP, it could cost anywhere from Twenty-five to $30,000 bare minimum. So for most, that's kind of out of reach. With no-code technology, it cuts development time by 90%. And we want to democratize development like Bitcoin has democratized finance. So nocodeclarity.com is where you can find myself and my co-founder. Shout out to my co-founder, Sergio Gangora, one of the best top talents in the space. And we have some really fun things coming this year. So really, really excited. So that's us. Awesome. Chris, thanks. Again, if you've got uh, comments, questions, drop them down, drop them down uh, in the comments below. We'd love to interact with you that way. And again, please follow, like, subscribe so that we can continue to have more guests like Chris and help build the show, which then will help build your business. My name is Ryan Kauf. Um, I'm the host of the Fractional Executive Podcast. You can contact me at ryankauf.coach. And I would just like to say that this podcast is produced by the great production team of Mark Livingston, Adam Marino, and Chris Dries at influencer.tv. Mm -hmm.